turn it up. Get ready. You're tuned in to VO Buzz Weekly. Weekly. The show where aspiring voice actors, established VO pros, and curious fans alike get to meet and learn from the mega successful talent in voiceover. Hear their personal stories. Find out how they became so successful. Learn their secrets and join them at the top. Yes, absolutely. However, today our guest is voiceover royalty, hands down, and it's taken a while to get this in the in the works. But she is here. She is Andrea Romano, voice director extraordinaire and oh casting director actor. Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. Just, so whoop, in advance, I'm telling you right now: grab your coffee, grab your popcorn, take out your <laughs> notepad, grab. <laughs> a bunch of pencils because you guys are going to get a lot of great stuff from a legend in the industry. Absolutely. And we should probably start right about now. Absolutely. Guys, our guest is one of the most respected and loved women in voiceover. She is a voice director, casting director, and actress with 22 Daytime Emmy nominations and eight Daytime Emmy wins to her credit. And speaking of her credits, her resume takes epic and impressive to a whole new level with credits like Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, SpongeBob SquarePants, and all things Batman and Justice League. We are so honored to get buzzed with the beautiful and brilliant Andrea Romano. Yay! Aw, thank you very much. Hi. Nice to be here. You hear thank the audience clapping? I hear them. Amazing. Uh, may I make a correction? Yes. I have closer to 40 nominations. Now. Really? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, See, I lost count not at even 35. The internet can keep up with you. I lost count at 35. Oh my gosh. And I'm so proud of every single one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was one year when I was nominated. There are typically five nominees per category, mm -hmm. and there was one that I was three nominated for. In, I was three of the nominees in the category and didn't win. Oh no! <laughs> so what kind of I have I had plenty of non-wins, but just the nomination is oh a gosh. win in and of itself. That is well, so that is that awesome. amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. you must be very, very proud. I am extremely proud. Do you think that's well because you're deserved. so great? Aww. Or do you think it's because <laughs> you know, you're cute and great? Or do you think, <laughs> I, you know, beauty I think and it brains. is. I think it's a it's, combination. I like so much what I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love actors, and I respect every moment that they go through just to get in front of me. I was an actress first, yeah. and then I was an agent, assistant, and then I was an agent, and then a casting director. Yeah. director. So I have a very good understanding of all of the aspects of what gets any actor in front yeah. of me at any given moment, mm -hmm. what they've had to sacrifice and go through. And I think that respect is felt by the community and um, so I that's I think that's part of why I'm acknowledged I think so I yeah. too that's yeah. a good answer Thanks, we're, gonna, man. we're gonna hold yeah. on to that one all right then speaking <laughs> of agent and acting and all this crazy background can you please take us through how it all began from sure. you know acting to being an agent and then on to Hanna-Barbera and, yeah, and how yeah. it all began for you absolutely I, I've had a, a dream career and um, yeah. we spent some time together recently in, in mm -hmm. Atlanta at a voice conference and I was the keynote speaker which was it was very yes. lovely yes. for them to invite me to do that. And I kind of told them the same story, which mm -hmm. was, I am the living example of 
dreams can come true. And when I was about 10 years old, I was thinking about what I would like to be like when I was an adult and what would my career like to be. And I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. I did not know in what capacity yet, mm -hmm. but I wanted to work with actors and in that world. And I wanted to be married to someone from a foreign country mm -hmm. who spoke with an accent and who was an artist. And I'm married to Rogério Nogueira, who's a well-known Brazilian yeah. caricaturist and check, cartoonist. Check, check. I know, yeah. I know, check, check, I know. Check. And Man. I work in the animation industry. Yeah. Now, at, Andrea at would be teaching manifesting <laughs> seminars. <laughs> <laughs> and and so the, the back in the day, there really was a very small voiceover community. It wasn't the big, well-known mm. environment that so many people have access to now. So I didn't even know that was an option when I was a kid, but I was the biggest cartoon fan. Love, love, love cartoons. Mm -hmm. And my favorites were ones like Huckleberry Hound and Quick Draw McGraw and Yogi Bear and the, the real yeah, classic of age of the Hanna-Barbera yeah. cartoons. And, and I had the great good fortune many years you know, later in my story to work with almost all of those of actors, course. if not all of them. But, so I grew up on Eastern Long Island. I'm one of those very few human beings who actually was born and raised in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just I don't know. hear about that. No. And, and I always feel that I have to give the disclaimer that we were not the wealthy Hamptonites. We were the poor locals. Mm. And so, and it took traveling around the world throughout my adult life to realize that that is one of the most gorgeous places on the planet. Absolutely. And we were very lucky to grow up there. And my mother was very smart to move us there when we were very young. And I'm one of eight kids, mm. enormous family. And um, there's only two younger than I. There's two boys and then six girls in a row. Right on. Huge family. So and they're also back there on Long Island. There's five girls in my family. Is that right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it's it? It's amazing. It, yeah. They're like built-in friends. We really mm -hmm. do get along. I do believe that a, a, a large part of why they are such good friends of mine is that I live 3,000 miles away from them. <laughs> so it's not the day-to-day -day family stuff that goes yeah, on, it's yeah. much more. Anyhow, I, I had a very supportive family, and when I, I was the first one to go away to college. Oh, wow. Nobody, we really didn't have any dough, but mm -hmm. I managed to score a Regent Scholarship, a New York State Regent Scholarship, mm -hmm. which pays for your tuition as long as yeah. you stay in New York State and go to a New York State school. So I actually chose my college with a ruler. I went, okay, from West Hampton to this college and this college. <laughs> Not that I didn't love my family, but I yeah. wanted to go as far as I could. Exactly. Yeah. I would have loved to have come to California, yeah, yeah. but I didn't, right. I didn't have a region scholarship here. So I found a couple of colleges, and I was actually a music student at the time. I played bass clarinet. Very wow. cool instrument, which I really loved. Yeah. Um, and and I was accepted at State University of New York at Fredonia. And that is 60 miles southwest of Buffalo. I hadn't thought about the weather aspect mm. yet. But they had an excellent music program. And then just before I left to go to college, they sent me this final, these final documents that said, you know, pick your major, make sure you have your major. And I went, I don't know if I can make mu music my life forever and ever. Mm. And then I saw at the very bottom of the list, theater arts. And I thought, that sounds That's good. I, I think I could live yeah. in that world. And so yeah. I checked that and changed my major like three weeks before leaving for college. Mm. Now, Fredonia has a wonderful theater program, a truly, truly wonderful theater program. Um, uh, Bob Weinstein, right, of the... Yeah. Weinstein, 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 Weinstein. sorry, sorry, yeah. Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Weinstein, um, Weinstein. He graduated from there. Uh, Mary McDonald graduated from there. Mm -hmm. Be beautiful uh, uh, campus, a lovely place, but it is 60 miles southwest of yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. So I graduated a semester early, uh, which was the winter of 77. See how mm. very old I am. Um, which was, until recently, the most intense winter on record. It was 40 below zero for three weeks in a row. Whoa, yeah. And so I was fleeing that and so I 
doubled up on my courses and tried mm -hmm. to get the heck out of there. Yeah. And, and was an acting student, took wonderful acting classes and some directing. <clears throat> and what Fredonia really had going for it, and something that actually has worked for my entire career, is they taught you every aspect of theater arts. Mm -hmm. You had to learn how to build a flat. You learned how to learn theater makeup. You had to learn everything, <clears throat> costuming. You had to, right. So that you had an appreciation for it. Everybody contributed to it. Right. And, and that's key, I think, in success in any Absolutely. industry, is to yeah. know what everybody else is doing that makes the whole that you're all making. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was getting ready to leave for doing this. I packed up all my stuff. And then the high school reached out to me and said, would you direct our high school musical? for the grand sum of $500, which in 1977 big was a big to me. I know, it was a big to me. So I was like, y yes, I will stay and do that. It'll be great fun and I will bear through this winter. And so I stayed for about two or three more months and directed mm -hmm. And it was called Carnival was the musical, Carnival. which the movie Lily was based on. Mm -hmm. Leslie yeah. Caron, a beautiful, sweet, sweet, sweet mm. musical. And, and I used all my theater arts friends to help me with costumes and makeup and Wonderful. everything. It was fantastic. Um, so I left Fredonia and then went to graduate school at Rutgers in New Jersey um, to the Mason Gross School of the Arts at Douglas College. Another alumnus of that school is John DiMaggio. He went there too. <laughs> Decades yeah. later, but still. Yeah. <laughs> and that had a wonderful theater program mm -hmm. where Bill Esper taught there, and Avery Brooks, the beautiful actor, taught uh, uh, voice and movement, and Eileen Blumenthal, I was her graduate assistant, mm -hmm. and um, she was the theater critic for uh, The Village Voice, and a lot of working people, they weren't your typical college professors. They exactly. were actually working right. professionals who worked in New York City, and then would come and teach their classes, and then go back into the yeah. city where they worked and lived. Yeah. And so that was a really nice connection with true working mm -hmm. uh, individuals. But after a year there, I thought, I've got to get out of academia. I don't want to be in this mm -hmm. school thing. I've got to go try and see if I can do it. Yeah. Now, I need to preface this by saying, throughout my college career, the four years of undergraduate and the one year of graduate school, I managed to put on 85 pounds. Wow. Now, college, when you, you first- You were trying to stay warm. Part of it, and, and you know that part of the, that coast, you just put on another layer. I know layer, I'm from Bing I grew notices. up in Binghamton. Oh, so. well, you so well yes. know this. Then you just put on another layer, and also <laughs> you go to college, and you have to uh, at your first year live in the dorms, which mm -hmm. means you have to get the food program, right. which means your dinner is spaghetti and French fries. Yep. And so, you know, that was just you can't help it. it was. Yeah. So Absolutely. here I am in New York City, mm -hmm. moved from. Uh, uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where Rutgers is, uh, to New York to try to try this thing, to actually right. audition. And yeah. So my day would consist of, you had to have a job too, as, as right. most actors or, or wannabe actors have to do. You have to have something that makes you money while you're trying to pursue exactly. that field. And so I was the cashier at Capizio in the Village, oh, yeah. which was the dance store yeah. and yeah. high fashion. And it was a big, the big store. It was a really mm -hmm. cool yeah. store, oh, right man, those in things the were village. like so happening. Oh, that was everybody nice came through. Yeah. I Rock and Capizios. rollers. Oh yeah. Rock and rollers yeah. came through. Actors mm -hmm. came through. It was just really cool to see people. And so my day would consist of leaving my apartment in, uh, I lived up, what it was only like a block or two from Harlem, and this was before Harlem was gentrified. Exactly. It was up on East 93rd, mm -hmm. uh, between 2nd and 3rd. Yeah. And um, so I would go from there at like 10, 9 in the morning, whatever, do a couple of auditions here and there that I could, go to Capizio at 11, prep the store, store opened at noon, at four o'clock we had our lunch break, your staggered lunch break, I would go off and do a couple other auditions if I could, uh, run back to Capizio, work until eight when it closed, and then either go do a play if I was lucky enough to get cast in mm -hmm. something, or take a class, or do arguably one of the most difficult jobs on the whole planet, which is phone sales. Ooh. Mm. 
And so I have great sympathy for people who do phone yes, solicitation, and yeah, yeah. I'm very polite Thank to them, but I get job. them off the phone fast. Yeah. And I'll tell you a quick story, if I may, about that, <laughs> to digress a bit. Um, I told, I sold two very good products, so it wasn't odious. Right. One was um, TV Guide, and it was actually a very good deal. Oh, it yeah. was a, a really good deal to <laughs> subscribe. It's, it helps when you believe in the product. Exactly, it did. Yes. And the other thing was um, Weekly Reader. Do you remember that yes, publication Weekly for Reader, kids? Yeah. And it came from, the calls came from a, a pre-existing subscription list. So the kids had had a subscription already, already, and you were just asking them if they wanted to re-up for the nice. next year. So right. it was not as bad as some others could be. And you know, they give you these notebooks, and whenever the person on the phone gives you a response, you fly Flip and you know, give them the response the, that's been rewritten. The that's right, been written right. for them. Whether yeah. it fits or not. That's right. So um, I, I, I got very good at hi. This is Andrea Romano. I'm calling from Weekly Reader. Your son Johnny had a subscription last year, and we're wondering if you would like to re-up for this year. And you know, you're always being listened to by mm -hmm. supervisors. They're yeah. wanting to see how your form is and how good you are, and if you're clear and following their guidelines. Quality assurance. So would Johnny like to re-up his sus subscription for next year? Johnny passed away last year. <gasps> No. And I, of course, there really is no. And I said, <laughs> oh. I am so sorry for your loss, and I apologize for the phone call. I hope I didn't disturb you. And I hung up the phone, and I was quite shaken. It was just the first time that I'd ever come across, and you know, I didn't know these people, but for a kid, yeah. it's horrible. And the um, supervisor came over and said, you should have asked if Johnny had a sibling. No! And oh. so that was the night I picked up my purse and left and never went back to phone wow. solicitation. It was really nasty. It was just dreadful. Yeah. dreadful. And that's what it's all about. It's there is no through, humanity. Yeah. None wow. at all. None, it was sale, 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 yeah. sale. And you got a little salary, but you, then you made commissions. Right. And so the, you, want, you were inspired to mm -hmm. sell as many as you could. Yeah. And I, I was pretty su successful because I, I actually would go off script mm -hmm. and just go, this really is a good deal. <laughs> if you buy this <laughs> yeah. you know, on the stands, it's going to cost you this much more. You know, if you liked it already, so it was easy for me to sell them, and right. I, I did well, but right. that was the straw that broke yeah, the camel's back. I couldn't changer. do it. Mm. So um, there I was in Manhattan, and I had always had this drive to live on the West Coast, or to go to the West Coast. I'd have my friends in high school and elementary school. During spring break, they would come to California, and they would come back tan. Oh. <laughs> you know, in February yeah. or March. And you go, how can that? Now, yeah. this was a beach community that we lived in in West Tansy right. Beach, so tans were familiar from, you know, June yeah. through August, but yeah. this was a very... So I always had this draw for California. I always wanted to go. And I only found out a few years ago that I was conceived in Santa Monica. Wow. So my roots were actually out here all along. Oh, my parents took one cross-country trip, mm. and that was... The trip where I was. And you just found out recently? Yeah, only in the last couple of years I found oh out. Oh my God. I know, isn't that cool? Yes. So, yes, that's um, cool. I have, as if I don't have enough siblings already, I have a, a guy that's a half brother, we refer to him. He, he was uh, in the Air Force with my oldest brother, and when they left the Air Force, he came and lived with us for years. Mm -hmm. And so he had moved to San Diego, and had, we were always in touch. And this was long before internet. We would phone each other. <laughs> and he said, You know, Andrea, there's a flight from JFK to LAX for $100, wow. and I had at the time $500 in my bank account. Right. And so I bought the $100 ticket, I packed all my stuff in my mom's attic, and with $400 to my name, I took the plunge and moved to Southern California, to San Diego, where no one told me there was no <laughs> acting work. Yeah. Wah, and it's, wah, I mean, there's San Diego wah. rep and there's Old yeah, Globe, but, but you really kind of have to be established to work mm -hmm. in those places. And Absolutely. then there's dinner theater and yeah. Yeah. community theater, which I did. But again, I was 200 pounds, and I'm only five foot tall. Mm -hmm. There's just not that many roles. Right. right. And and I was a fair actress. I was an okay actress. I'm not, you know, 
I wasn't stellar. I was just, I was good. I, yeah. I, I knew I was okay. I, I could do a good audition. I could do a good performance. But I had a physicality that had to be dealt with. Yeah. And so... Um, a dear friend of mine who had gone to Fredonia called me. He was in Los Angeles. He was working at a talent agency called An the Anne Wright Agency. It was a theatrical agency. Mm -hmm. right. And he was a theatrical agent. And he said, a friend of ours, Vanessa Gilbert, um, a voiceover agent, a, a voiceover agent's assistant at the time mm -hmm. at Abrams Rubeloff, Don Pitts was the agent. Mm -hmm. She's been in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Can you come up and interview for a temp job? Mm -hmm. And I thought, voiceover? Well, they're not going to care what I look like. Let me go explore this and see what I can find out as an actress. Right. Meanwhile, do a temp job maybe for a couple of weeks. Sure. I was determined to never make a living typing. Typing. Yeah. That was always the question when you're trying to find work in New York right. is how, how, how many words how many can words you type. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I don't, I can't. And now, of course, we all have to type <laughs> I know, because I know, we're all I, like, I kill myself I, every day. I know. All the girls that really yeah. learned it in high school, you hear them on the phone, you hear them on the computer, you know they took classes and they were really good. So um, the first thing they had me do at Don Pitt's office was type a letter. I'm like, oh, oh Lord. So he had a really old-fashioned manual. Are you the two-finger? Oh, <laughs> well, well, I could you place have to push them so right. hard on those yes, manuals. Yes. It's like you and, have a stand on it. Yes, and it had one of those very strange margin releases where if you pressed one margin release, it like zipped it over, and if you pressed the other one, it zipped it over, and I froze the return. Oh. So I broke <laughs> Don Pitt's <laughs> typewriter, and I said, oh. That's a heck of a first day. Um, um, yeah, Mr. Pitts. Um, <laughs> yeah, this one's a goner. Now, <laughs> a really good thing was my friend Anthony Bardeo, his um, dear friend Susan Chico, who I knew, was Noel Rubeloff of Abrams Rubeloff's yeah. assistant. And she had an IBM Selectric. Oh, electric. Nice. And I said, can I type it on your... And so, you know, it's got a correctable and the whole deal. Yeah. So I typed the letter. Yeah. And, but really, it was more about personality and phone sure. work and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I had the phone work experience. Absolutely. I knew actors. I understood it. And they hired me on the spot. And so I learned a lot about clients like Frank Welker mm. and Paul Winchell mm. and June Foray and oh all these voiceover all the giants. Yes. I mean, wow. I, I yes. what the a person way that to I, enter into How about that? that? The, the, and, and oddly enough, the person that blew me away the most was Paul Winchell because oh. the Winchell and Mahoney show was something that I was very familiar with. And a lot of people don't know it. He was a wonderful ventriloquist. Mm -hmm. He was the voice of Tigger, of course, on Winnie the Pooh. Right. And in his spare time, invented mm -hmm. the valve for the artificial heart. I know, yeah, mm. there was that little. Yeah, he had thing. a little time to do that mm. too. I mean, a Such true. Such a slacker, that one. Yeah, yeah. A true genius. But <laughs> yeah. so I was. I, when I met him, he was wearing a leisure suit. Oh I remember my gosh. it so well. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> But such With a dear, wonderful man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was brown. I'll never forget it. Oh, it was my just gosh. truly, truly like, dreadful. Very steak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so after a few weeks, and I really enjoyed the work. I really liked. Uh, playing with actors and and chatting with them and giving them their appointments and and knowing when they said Andrea I I can't make it from Coanga which I had to learn how to pronounce yeah. Coanga and, and Hanna Barbera was on Coanga West oh, so no. I had to say it a million times every day and there were some very very mm. tolerant wives and assistants and actors who would say it's it's Coanga Andrea it's cool. you'll get it don't worry it's Coanga and so you know all those names those yes. Mexican names yep. and things yes. Indian names that I had to learn Lancashire and Simple Everything. Oh, uh, for so long. I thought it was Laurel Sin. I'm like, the CYN? Right. Because I didn't know it was Canyon. Exactly. They didn't tell me exactly. it was abbreviated. And so um, about three, maybe two, three weeks into temping doing this job, I get a call from Vanessa. And she said, Andrea, I just really need to tell you. First of all, everybody's saying such good things about you. Mm -hmm. And they're mistaking you for me because our voices are very similar. Yeah. Uh, and she said, um, I'm, I'm not going to come back there. 
once I do recover, I'm going to, and it was a very serious car accident yes. she was when she had yeah. to recover yeah. for years. Yeah. Um, and she said, I'm going to go off and do something else. So I just wanted to tell you up front. And so they offered me a full-time position there as a voiceover assistant, and I was mm -hmm. delighted to be there. And then within, I'd say maybe six, eight months, they franchised me as an agent. And for a little period of time, I was the youngest agent in Hollywood. Wow. And that made me really The youngest happy. agent in Hollywood. See, if we had an award for that, See, you'd win that one I too. Could have <laughs> I could have put Barbie clothes on that too, like I, I do with my Emmys. I love, oh my gosh, she was <laughs> predestined. So here I am at Abrams Ubloff, which was one of the grand agencies, yeah. enormous mm -hmm. client list, 350, 400 clients. Mm -hmm. It had an on-camera division as well as a, a voiceover division, and it had a division that represented talk show hosts and game show hosts, and that was a really cool niche of yeah. actors and, and yeah. talent, so the Wink Martindales and all those guys mm -hmm. that did that work, Rod Roddy and all those guys. So one of the things that I decided to do as soon as I became a franchised agent was I thought, okay, now I'm committing to this. Yeah. I, I haven't 100% given up being an actor, but I'm going to do this for all because it's fun to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, but let me take a voiceover class. Let me learn exactly what it is that these people are doing. And so M.G. Kelly, who was a DJ at the time here in L.A. and quite well known, Machine Gun Kelly, he um, was teaching a really wonderful voiceover class. And to tell you how times have changed, I think it might have cost 250 bucks. It was an eight-week-long workshop, wow. and at the end of it, you got a, a consultation, a private consultation with MG, and then a recording day of doing a demo, mm -hmm. and then you got a demo, and that was all for like $250. Wow. Now, a class of six weeks is 600 bucks, right. yeah. and a demo is another 600 bucks, and that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Right. And so, but it was really fun, and it was really good for me to get behind the microphone and really experience mm -hmm. what the actors are going through. And, and you discover that remarkable phenomenon where you get behind the microphone and all the liquid drains from your mouth <laughs> and appears on the palms of your hands. <laughs> and you can't even speak. Uh, and so one of the first things I learned was always have water with you in a yeah. recording studio because yeah. you're going to dry up. You're just going to. Yeah. Um, so that was a great learning experience. Um, I also understood a lot about when actors would say, if you really want my deepest voice and that's what you're having me audition for, give me an early morning call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm better than, once my voice has warmed up, it lightens, or vice versa. As my voice warms up during the day, I can hit those deeper tones, mm -hmm. you know, schedule me that way. And yeah. so I was very agreeable to those mm -hmm. kinds of things and to finding parking and, you know, all those issues mm -hmm. that actors mm -hmm. had to deal with to get from one, because it's a horrible feeling to be late for an audition. Oh, sure. You're already you're behind. You're yeah. already sweating, and, yeah. and and the best is to show up early, mm -hmm. so you can take a look at whatever sides they may have for you that have changed since they sent it ahead of time. Right. You can prepare yourself, and I always tell actors that uh, uh, on the occasions when I do teach that um, if you get there early and they say, "Oh, great, we're ready for you. Come on right in," and you need those five minutes, mm -hmm. ask for them, them. Yes. because then you've wrecked the whole point of getting there early. You yes. want to compose yourself and do the best job that you can. This is your shot. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people get nervous about auditioning, and I always loved auditioning, because in my mind it was, somebody wants to see me give a little mini performance. How cool! Yeah. They want to see me perform! Dig it! Yeah. I'm gonna go do yes. this thing! Yeah. So, yes. on camera, theatrical, <laughs> and then voiceover. It's like, let me do this thing. And um, 
So I always encourage people to enjoy the audition procedure, but if that requires five minutes of centering before you go mm -hmm. in, take the five minutes, ask yes. for it. Everybody will be happier in the long run. Yeah, than I you never did. sign in until I know I'm ready. Oh, that's good. Because if you sign in, they think you're. That's right. I usually that's right. Uh, that's a good point. I never even thought about that part of it. Mm -hmm. But so you go in when you're ready. Um, so there I was at Abrams Rubeloff representing this remarkable talent pool, and so many working actors that the the majority of my job was simply taking appointments and giving them out, mm -hmm. taking call times and giving them out. There was so little auditioning that we had to have clients do because they already had so much work going. But we had serious auditions going on. Mm -hmm. And at one point, we had moved Abram Zubaloff. Noel Rubeloff was this great guy, now long gone. God rest his soul. Um, but he liked to have really unusual offices. So the first office he had was on Doheny and Beverly, right next to what is now a Mayfair or something down there. Something like and that. And it was this wonderful, um, we called it the bird cage because it had um, a staircase going up and then a big enough um, landing space that the assistance desks were on that and wow. then in the offices right behind them were the specific agents that they handled mm -hmm. and the receptionist was down below and so it was the loudest place <laughs> line three is for Carol line five is for Don Coates <laughs> line six is for it was really just shouty shouty oh shouty gosh. and then you would take the call and go okay one moment Don it's Marty Angles on line five and just, it was all it was unbelievable it was like the Stock like market. Wow, it was like a stock market. Yeah. It really was. It was crazy. It was so cool. And and really cool. And it was on camera as well yeah, as voiceover. Yeah. And we shared a lot of the same clients. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh wait, if you have an on-camera appointment for him, can we get him over to yeah. you know Bob right. Lloyd's voice right. caster by this but um, and it was great. It was an excellent training ground. And I met some of my dearest friends at there there. So then we moved to Los Feliz to right next to AFI to mm. a mansion, a big, beautiful oh. mansion that frankly was not zoned for business. Mm. And we probably could have gotten away with it except for all the auditions that required the voiceover actors to come up mm. and park and the neighbors started to complain. Mm, yeah. But it was this stunning three-story mansion with a wine cellar and the wine cellar was the recording booth. How cool is that? Isn't that cool? I mean, yes. it was really, really cool. And the bedrooms were converted to offices only in that there were desks wow. and sure. file cabinets, yeah. but we didn't change the, the configuration yeah, at yeah. all. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was wonderful. I had a gorgeous backyard, a full chef's kitchen. I mean, stunning, wow. great place. And then Noel Rubeloff passed away, and the neighbors really got up about it. And if Noel had lived, I think he would have fought it and probably won, because mm -hmm. he was just that tough a guy. Yeah. But we had to move, and we moved down to 3rd and Beverly, 3rd and um, Crescent Heights. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then very shortly after we moved there, I was headhunted to uh, be start a voiceover agency for special artists, which is a boutique agency, a much smaller, right. represented yep. maybe 90 clients. All vo uh, on camera clients, they had no voiceover department. Mm -hmm. And what happens then is those clients want voiceover activity, so they have to go elsewhere to find it. They find an agency that has voiceover and on camera, the on camera yeah. department mm -hmm. wants Across to. The board, and yeah. so, Abram, uh, special artists very wisely said if we have a voiceover division, then our clients will stay here because they were terrific yeah. on camera mm -hmm. department. Yeah, yeah. So, I had, I was the startup, and it was wonderful because wow. I had I very, bet. very talented on-camera people yeah. mm -hmm. and I was able to really cultivate a very good voiceover division. They also had a very nice celebrity division mm -hmm. and so, you know, the whole uh, um, measure of success in a department like that is did you pay for the department over the year? Right. So you only need one or two accounts for a James Coburn or a Martin Sheen or those guys mm -hmm. and then you've paid for it. But meanwhile, you're cultivating a scale client list so they right. go in for the right. $250 radio commercial. 
Marshall, yeah. and I auditioned for it and all those guys. And I represented such wonderful actors like Kevin McCarthy. Mm. Kevin McCarthy, you might remember, remember from the first Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. He was the lead. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, William Wyndham, who I happened to see at Fredonia when I was a student. He was doing a one-man show for Thurber. Ah. The Thurber, it was a Thurber yeah. show. And and then years later I represented <laughs> him and it was really cool yeah. to just go, I met you so many years ago. Oh. It was just one of those really cool yeah, yeah. Yeah. crosses in time. Um, and then I was there for about maybe two years. So I was an agent in total for maybe four and a half, five years. Uh -huh. So now we're up to about 1984. 1984. And I get a phone call from Ginny McSwain, who at the time was the casting mm -hmm. director at Hanna-Barbera. That's right. And Ginny had been very good to yeah, me, at, both great. at Abrams Rubeloff when yeah. I was there because I had yeah. such a huge client mm -hmm. list, and at Special Artists at giving me a chance. She'd call me up and just say, Andrea, I have a, 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 a gift role, which means Practically anybody with a pulse could do it. Mm -hmm. But who do you have that needs a voiceover job and send me somebody good? So I would sweat and think and go. And, <laughs> and you know, as an agent in that kind of agency, you are also a casting director. You're yeah. just casting from your own client right, list. You're not right. casting the entire pool. You're That's casting just your pressure. client list. So, yeah. and, you wanna, and when you're just given a gift like that, you want to make sure. And so I was very lucky to kind of nail it whenever mm -hmm. she And then she'd say, I have a guest, a real guest role. Give me your best guy. And I go, okay, how about Alan Rich? A wonderful, mm -hmm. she goes, I, I recognize him, his on-camera work, let's give him a shot. And so those guys, and she call me up afterwards and say, you have to remind me of guys like that. You have a wonderful yeah. client list. And she mm -hmm. was very, very kind yeah. to me. And she would also do this wonderful thing called general auditions, which yeah. is because at that time there were actual seasons in animation. You knew when the downtime was. There was an actual pilot season, mm -hmm. if you will. And so during her downtime, because they had their own committee, studio there at a recording studio at Hanna-Barbera she would call all the agents and say send me five actors that I don't know of, of your client list and tell them to prepare five minutes of material and I'll also give them cold readings while they're there yeah. which was a beautiful thing nobody does that anymore oh, because know. nobody really has yeah. committed studios that yeah. they don't have to pay for mm -hmm. and there's not really a downtime anymore there's not seasons things right. run all year mm -hmm. long so she had been so very kind, and she also used to invite me to come and watch sessions. And so in my education of this field, I would go and watch Frank Welker's sessions and my client sessions that Abram Drew uh, at uh, Special Artists, and I would go to as many sessions yeah. as I could squeeze in because it was so fun. And okay. that's when I met Gordon Hunt and watched mm -hmm. what this magic was of creating cartoons. Mm -hmm. Now, I've said that I was a big cartoon fan. Yep. I became a 10 times over cartoon fan when I watched how it was made. Wow. So Gigi gives me a phone call one day and she said, I just wanted to tell you, I'm calling everybody individually to say that I've given my two-week notice at Hanna-Barbera. I'm going to go off and direct at Marvel. And this was the golden age, the first golden, the second golden <laughs> age, the third golden age yeah. of animation when it had exploded. Yeah. And it was the time when all the baby series came out, which is Muppet Babies, you know, Son of yeah. Batman right. and, son. and yeah. Son, you know, uh, <laughs> Pink <laughs> Panther and, and Son, uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo, everything yeah, was, yeah. so we were making massive numbers of cartoons, Smurfs, Snorks, enormous orders of those cartoons, yeah. and there were enormous casts, and so, um, because they were buying like 65 episodes at that time, right? Amazing, actually, before yeah. then it had been 13 episodes, mm -hmm. 26 episodes, mm -hmm. now suddenly 65 oh, episodes, if they that? oh, it was remarkable, so, 
I said, Ginny, who's going to take over for you? Because you've been so good, and it's been this wonderful pipeline I've yeah. had to not only go and watch sessions on a selfish level, but get my clients in there. And she said, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're seeing people over the next week, and, and we'll let you know. And the next day, she called me and said, Andrea, <laughs> would it interest you? <laughs> Do you have any desire? And I was... Head over heels with the idea, I, I, and I've told this story before. I, it was like a cartoon itself. My phone was left spinning in the air <laughs> yeah. as I yeah. zipped off and showed up yeah. in front of yeah. Gordon Hunt's desk. Your whole desk. life was being yeah. at the right place at the right time, and, man. and not being too yeah. scared to yeah. take the risk. Because exactly. you know, going yeah. from a, a salaried job at any given time to a, a freelance job or whatever, all those risks, moving sure. from New York with four hundred mm -hmm. bucks, I know, that's big yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. It's, and it is a lot about risk taking and and just feeling it out and just going, is this right for me? Mm -hmm. Should I take, yeah, let's go for it. Or I'm gonna play the safe route on this decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I go and meet with Gordon Hunt, whom I had met, and we had this wonderful conversation about my theatrical background and my love of theater and the plays I had seen. And I think one of the things that, that clinched it for me was, I, I mentioned, he said, he asked me, what was one of the first Broadway shows you ever saw? And of course, when I was living in New York, I didn't have two cents to rub together, so I always had to get any kind of discounted ticket or whatever I could, yeah. and I said, I saw this one play, Gordon, that nobody's ever seen. It was with Joel Gray and Anne Rankin. It was a musical, and it was called, um, and I'm gonna space on the name of it. It was about the Dauphin, uh, Good Time Charlie, it was called. Mm. And he said, my brother directed that. No. Peter, uh, Peter uh, Hunt. And I said, I, I, I love that. I love that musical so much. And it didn't do well, and it didn't last for very long. Yeah. But I, it was one of my favorite things that I saw. And then we had lots of wonderful conversations. And, and they, they hired me the next day. Mm. And so I, I, I left Special Artists and went over and became the casting director of Hanna-Barbera. Now, being the <laughs> casting director at Hanna-Barbera was truly a dream come true. The I first bet. day I met Dawes Butler, who oh, was as talented, as genius as Mel Blanc, but Mel had a better publicity yeah. thing going because he was an on-camera actor as well, right. and he just he got it that the publicity thing yeah. was something he wanted mm -hmm. to do. I think a lot of the other voiceover actors who were so stellar they didn't really care about it. They liked the fact that they could make the money they were making right. and, and go into a restaurant and afford yeah. whatever restaurant yep. they mm -hmm. wanted to go to, exactly. but they didn't have to worry about people bugging them during their dinner. Mm -hmm. And so here's Dawes Butler, you know, the voice of Yogi Bear. Right. I mean, practically any Hanna-Barbera cartoon that you yeah. IMDB, you'll see his name on. Yep. And he was a tiny little thing. He was no taller than I, and I'm five foot. He might have been shorter than I. Mm -hmm. Also a stunning teacher, and I had gone to several of his classes later. But when I first met him at Hanna-Barbera, I, I said, I, I, I can't believe I'm getting to shake your hand. Because, you know, we didn't have access to those actors if you didn't work in the industry. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't have comic cons or things that you can go and meet right, the voice right. actors. And so, Mr. Butler, it is such a joy. Oh, Andrea, please, it's Dawes. And I said, <laughs> Huckleberry Hound was my favorite character in the whole world. Mm. And he spoke to me as Huckleberry Hound. Oh, my. And I lost it. I just burst into tears. It was a completely oh, unexpected reaction. So I had no idea that it would 
it would take this emotional turn on me, which was just zipping me back in time. You know how like a, a scent, you'll go, yeah. that yeah. smells like yeah. the, the bus I used to take to elementary school, yeah. or that smells like the field I used to walk through, you know, whatever. It just zips you back in time. Well, this voice just zipped me back to being in my feety pajamas, you know, in front of the TV with my bowl of cereal, watching a Huckleberry Hound so cartoon. Sweet. And it, it took me a while to actually figure why that cartoon was so special to me. And then I realized that it was because Huckleberry Hound was the first to, for me, to break the fourth wall. Mm. He'd be having that scene and he'd be playing it in that wonderful yeah, soft and voice. Then would, and then mm -hmm. he would look right to camera and he'd say, I know why he's doing that. And then he would go on. It's like, mm. but to me, he was talking to you. To yeah. you. He was yeah. seeing me there in my feety pajamas yeah. talking right to me. I didn't yeah, have a concept cool. of yeah. he was talking to the camera, he was talking to me. And so I had this joyous five and a half years at Hanna-Barbera, mm. 84 through 89, when we made the Smurfs. Now, I have to give Ginny complete credit for the main casting on the Smurfs. Mm -hmm. But then I was. Um, one of the highest compliments I ever got from Ginny was uh, the first casting I had to do on that series was each character had a, Dane, uh, a devil smurf and an angel smurf. And unlike many times when that kind of Sure. thing is used, right. um, it would be f specific to each character. Mm -hmm. For this, it was always the same one. Mm -hmm. And I hired Artie Johnson as Devil, and William Christopher, who was uh, the, the uh, priest on MASH, mm -hmm. as the angel. And Ginny called me up after she had heard the casting okay? and said, yeah. fantastic wow. casting, Andrea. Wow. And I thought, that's just about praise from Caesar. That yeah. was so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and cool. then I also cast Jonathan Winters as Grandpa Smurf, and all the Smurflings. And mm -hmm. you always know that, there's gonna, that things are going <laughs> sort of, they're petering out when they start going, okay, well, yeah. we'll throw in this character and this bizarre character right. from space or whatever. Right. You know. Talking leaves. Exactly <laughs> right. And, but this was really the heyday of those enormous numbers of cartoon shows. Mm -hmm. The next one that I cast that was strictly my show was called The Snorks, mm -hmm. which was essentially the Smurfs underwater. Yeah. Right. And so we did that, and that was, I mean, what a casting. We saw every actor in town, and that probably had 15 regulars on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were making 65 episodes. Mm -hmm. And then the Paw Paws and Foofer and, you know, Popeye and Son and, yep. you know, all those shows. Mm -hmm. my, one of my favorite stories is <clears throat> Gordon Hunt also at the time was teaching a, an acting class. And Joe Barbera had been very kind about, Gordon, keep the acting class going. We want you to keep your foot in that yeah. world because mm -hmm. you're bringing us beautiful mm -hmm. actors. And, but I had gone in on my very first day and gone from my office to Gordon with this first recording session. I watched him do the first recording session. The second day, he said, Andrea, I teach a class today, so you'll need to direct the, the three or four pickups we need to get from Superman on this. Uh, uh, by myself. Uh, exactly. And, and thank goodness I had watched as many episodes yeah. as he had done, so I knew how to slate at least. Yeah. And I kind of knew to give the actor three or four takes and get right. into it. And I, I believe it was Olin Soule, who was the voice of Superman, and he had to do five or six lines. Oh. And then that was it. And I remember just, <sighs> and I survived. But it was wonderful. It was, and it's that, that thing about like, jump you, in the deep end. You that, know? And yeah. that, that tingly feeling that goes through your entire body yeah, yeah, where yeah. you are so present and so alive. And you know, you go home, it takes hours to come down. <laughs> it was remarkable. 
So cool, man. Yeah, man. So there I am in Hanna-Barbera doing all these wonderful shows and, and really running through so many actors. And, and I would continue on the um, tradition that Ginny had started of doing the general auditions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I got to meet remarkable people then, you know, Dan Castellaneta, who had mm. not worked yet. Yes, he went and on to do a couple of things. A couple of things, and Nancy Cartwright, yeah. to keep in that oh. vein. And all these wonderful people that have gone on to have voiceover yeah. careers, mm -hmm. but just wonderful to get, that was a wonderful opportunity, and I'm sad that we can't do that anymore because yeah. uh, agencies now what they do is they send me an email with a link and say I just signed this new client and you don't know them yet but when you have a chance for auditions give them a shot because mm -hmm. there's I think they're special and agents don't sign large numbers of people anymore like they used to they're right. very selective so if a Cynthia McLean from SBV calls me or emails me and says this guy is special mm -hmm. I pay attention yeah. um, but I do also like to find new people I like that I like finding uh, you know uh, I'm like maybe Craigslist or something like that <laughs> I'm kidding yeah I'm kidding that's where I go uh, yeah. um, but but truly <laughs> I like to, to develop new talent and say, you know, I gave that actor his first... I gave Mark Hamill his first voiceover gig. I did. I gave mm -hmm. Mark Hamill his voice. You know, those kinds of things. I yeah, love yeah, being yeah. able to yeah. say that. Um, and as a matter of fact, I just worked with Jessica Walters today, mm. who is so brilliant and stunning on everything she does. And yep. I love her work on Archer. And one of the regrets of my life is that I was not a part of Archer. I, I was never offered the job, but I would have mm. loved to have been yeah. a part of a series Such as a stunning as that. Mm -hmm. And when I called to offer her this gig, or, or emailed the agent, because that's what we do now, yeah. I said, you might remind her that... Five years ago, uh, I cast her at Hanna-Barbera on a series called Wildfire. She was the villainous Diabolin. And the agent was kind enough to um, copy and paste her response, which was, please tell Andrea it would be my joy. She gave me my start in the voiceover mm. industry. Wow, and so cool. I love that. And today she reminded me well, of it so as we worked. Well, yeah. so many I, people say that. So many people say that. I love starting actors out and, and because mm -hmm. I have such respect for actors yeah. and I love them so and I, I see their fears and I understand their nervousness and I hear that happen in their voice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, step back from the microphone, mm -hmm. take a breath. I'm here for you. I want you to do well. Whether it's the audition or the gig, I always promise the actor that I will not let their voice go mm -hmm. out sounding bad. I just right. won't. That's not my point. Right. And I know there are some casting directors that are not as kind. I don't understand it. When you give the actor the tools that they need, mm -hmm. the information that they need, and put them in front of a microphone, why wouldn't you want them to be the right one? Absolutely. So you can be done right. and you know yeah. go home. We're all on the same. It's like we're all on the same team. I mean, don't you think your experience as an actor, you're a stage actor yourself, an agent? I mean, and that's what is always said about you is that you are an actor's best friend. You are an actor's director. I am. Um, I am. And I mean, and even sometimes you're you're doing some acting here and there. You'll be woman number five. And I've been the voice of the back computer for years. <laughs> Yeah. I love doing that countdown thing. Five, four, three, two, one. I love all that kind yeah. of yeah. computerized sort yeah. of. But, um, and I'm always like the older woman in distress. You know, if someone's been like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. mobbed by a yes. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, there, I'm that character very often. Um, but, so, uh, this remarkable thing happened while I was at Hanna-Barbera. I was um, approached by... A gentleman who used to be an advertising executive at Leo Burnett, a very well-known mm -hmm. uh, yep. agency, and um, he, Tom Ruzica is his name, and he called me up one day and he said, Andrea, I'm over at Disney TV Animation. 
brand new startup company. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they didn't have a TV yeah. division yet. Yeah. And so he said, we're going to do a series called DuckTales, based on uh -huh. Huey, Louie, and Dewey, and Scrooge McDuck. And we're going to do 65 episodes. Whew. Huge number. But we're going to audition directors. And so would you come and direct one of those uh, episodes, and then we'll decide after the first five who we're going to have come do the rest of the, the 60 remaining episodes. I said, oh, I would love to. Let me yeah. make sure Hanna-Barbera is cool with this. Yeah. So I checked, and I said, sure. Go ahead. And so, uh, which I thought was amazing. Mm. And I think they thought I wouldn't get the gig. Not that they didn't <laughs> believe in me. I just they thought, they thought, well, five other people, yeah. people with more experience, yeah. are going to probably get the gig. So somebody directed the first episode, and it took them eight hours, which the Screen Actors Guild allows you eight mm. hours for the first episode of any Phew. series. I came in and did the second episode in four. Is that a long time to direct? Eight hours is That's interminable. That's a long time. It's a really long time. It never should take that long. I mean, if you know what you're doing, if you yeah. are well-prepped, if you don't have 12 people behind you who are arguing about what the show is, yeah. you should be able to do it in four hours. But it's very kind of the Screen Actors Guild to allow you that much sure. time to explore for the first and one. play. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the second episode I go in for, and I did it in four hours. Yeah. And they said, you know what, we're not even going to have anybody else <laughs> do it. We like what you did so much. Let's just have you do the rest. And I, oh, okay. And then I went back to Hannah Barbera and said, you guys cool with this? Because one day a week I'm going to be gone for four hours to do right. And they were like, no, we're good. Yeah. Which is remarkable yeah. thank you Hanna Barbera for that I don't know why you allowed me to do that but you gave me my directing career and um, and I stayed on staff which meant I had paid vacations mm -hmm. and insurance Beautiful. and sick days which was really remarkable sure so then a, a little bit of time passes and I'm still doing all those shows at Hanna-Barbera and directing over at Disney. And then Disney gave me a couple of other series that Hanna-Barbera was okay with as well. So I did a bunch of Winnie the Pooh episodes. Mm. How cool to have that on my resume. Oh, yeah. Course, Winnie the man. Pooh. And Jim Cummings. And Jim Cummings. So and Paul Winchell. Yeah. And yeah. all those wonderful actors. And Rusie Taylor, my God, so mm -hmm. stunningly brilliant. And... Um, Rescue Rangers, which was the Chippendale series, yeah. which was really difficult to record because we didn't have the technology we do now. Yeah. We were working reel to reel, yeah. which meant we'd rehearse the whole thing, do a table read, record all the actors who were not sped, keep Tress McNeil and Corey Burton to play Chip Dale and the little So some of them creature. were sped and some of them weren't? Right. Oh. So those three, the chipmunks and the one little... <clears throat> I forget no, the name of the character, I'm embarrassed to say. But what we would do is we would slow the tape down 50%, and the actors would be recorded acting like this. Mm -hmm. They would bring the tape back up to speed and have to listen back to that entire recording session of those wow. lines, yeah. make sure it was clear, make sure it didn't sound like, like the that. actors were doing that, <laughs> yeah. and that there was clarity, pick up everything. Wow. So those were very long, tedious sessions, mm. but it, it worked. Now it's a piece of cake. You have all the electronics to make oh that happen. Yeah. regular and change yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so Winnie the Pooh, Chip and Dale, uh, yes, and Rescue Rangers. And then, this is around 1986 now, and the Screen Actors Guild struck against all the animation houses. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a work stoppage, so Hanna-Barbera laid us all off temporarily. Meanwhile, some people signed an interim agreement, and what that means is that companies say whatever is ultimately decided between all the big major companies and the Screen Actors Guild, we will abide by. Right. Will you let us continue production? And they say, yes, of course, mm -hmm. if you'll agree to whatever. And that makes total sense. Sure. So I get a phone call from Fred Wolf, and he says, I've got this silly 
series, five episodes, a miniseries. It's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I said, Fred, based on the title, yes, I want to do it. But let me check with Hanna-Barbera and see if they're cool with that. And I went back and they said no. They said no? Because they said it doesn't show strength from the company Hanna-Barbera to sign on for another, to let our mm -hmm. employees People start going, going out. And oh, I get okay. it, I get yeah, it. I get but it. what's yeah. so wonderful is now, some 20 years later, I'm I now directing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the one that Nickelodeon is making. Full so isn't that cool? Love I know, it. it really does come around. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. if you just sort of leave it open. Yeah. And so I thanked Fred so very, very much for that offer mm -hmm. and uh, and explained to him why I had to decline and, and turned him on to Susan Blue and said, mm -hmm. you know, she might be somebody you should consider. And then that all happened yeah. beautifully for everybody. And I'm happy that turned yeah. out the way it did. So then time goes by and five or six of my fellow Hanna-Barbera employees, now we're at 1989, they want to form Warner Brothers TV animation. So that's a goodly amount of time that Disney had the drop on everybody, yep. as they always have. Yes. They just have really just broken ground on a lot of things yeah. first. And so then uh, Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy and a bunch of people are going to form Warner Brothers TV animation. Mm -hmm. And they called me up and they said, will you come with? And they said it would have to be as a freelance, you'd have to leave Hanna-Barbera. And I said, I completely understand. And that's when you have another one of those uh, moments, moments in your career. Yeah. And you go, yep. am I going to give up the free, mm -hmm. I mean, not the free, but the paid vacations yeah. and the yeah, sick the days and the mm -hmm. health insurance, which can yeah, be very yeah, costly. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to make a decision. So do I leave my mm. steady job at Hanna-Barbera to go to Warner Brothers TV Animation, a startup company? Can I guess? Go ahead. Yes. I did. Yes, okay. I did. You I are right. I say yes for 20. You are right. <laughs> well, when they said the executive producer of the first series is Steven Spielberg, mm. yeah. I thought, well, that kind of, yes. like, mm. well. a chance to work with Steven Spielberg. And they said, yeah. you know, he's not just going to be a, 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 um, a name on the production, because mm -hmm. everything that he worked on was Steven Spielberg presents right. Tiny Toon Adventures. Steven yeah. Spielberg presents Animaniacs. And, and you know, he could have just been a, you know, figurehead, but mm -hmm. he wasn't. He was absolutely involved. He had ideas for storylines. He read the storyboards. Mm -hmm. He would come to some recording sessions. It was really cool. He acted in one of the episodes. I actually did direct Steven right Spielberg. Was he easy to direct? You know, he was lovely. He, he He's a How is he a as an actor? wonderful that would be director. A no. he's, he's a, a wonderful, wonderful director. director. She's very he's, diplomatic. He, I, I, I loved working with yeah. him. Yeah. And he's always been incredibly kind to me and always remembers me. And mm -hmm. when people ask, he'll say, yes, I know Andrea. And that's really cool right, to say that. Right. Yeah. So I've, I can say I know Steven Spielberg, but to be able to say that Steven Spielberg actually does know who I am, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, and well, he's found his lane, which he should probably stay in. Right? Yeah, he does a good job. Yeah. He does a good job there. And, and I've seen him do other acting, and it's wonderful. Good for him. I yeah. am delighted for him. Well, that is the end of part one. We're going to do something totally different with Andrea Romano because she deserves it. We're going to bring her back to you two more times yes. for part two and part three. She has an amazing story. Oh my gosh, and and all, tons of amazing stories, plus so much incredible advice absolutely. and knowledge. There's that no way that we're going to like cut it and have no. you only get a piece of it. So please stay with us for the three parts because yes. it's going to be way worth You're it. You're going to hear every single word that happened. We're not cutting out one thing. Absolutely. So we'll see you next week with part two. And keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We love you guys. Thanks so much for watching. And just remember, you, you always, always have time, time for a little, little buzz. buzz. 
Don't just listen to VO Buzz Weekly. Watch the show in stunning HD video at VOBuzzWeekly.com on their YouTube channel or on the app. VO Buzz Weekly is sponsored by Chuck Duran's Demos That Rock. Rock. The voiceover demo producer to the stars is now available to you. Visit DemosThatRock.com and take your voiceover career to the next level. See you next time. And remember, you always have time for a little buzz.